show. Ah, uh, man, we're gonna... I'm sorry, I'm just like so messed up by your weird voice that I can't <laughs> concentrate. Um, I'm trying to change it up. I <laughs> love the variety. Uh, so, welcome, and I hope you guys are enjoying the fabulous weather that and the fact that spring has finally sprung. Um, but let's get into the show. So we're going to start uh, this our this week and segment is going to be a two-parter part one this weekend shut the fuck up phil musnick <laughs> on the ny post um and then the second half uh we're going to talk about that condescending buzzfeed video that about the 27 questions that black people have about black people so let's get started okay so as everyone i don't okay I don't even know how I'm going to start with this. So this dude wrote an op name. This dude named Phil um, Musnack wrote an op-ed <laughs> piece about Chance the Rapper because he became um, the Chicago White Sox new ambassador. And if you know me, you know I'm a huge Sox fan, like from from birth, pretty much like a giant White Sox fan. So I was like super excited. And I was excited that Chance was throwing out the first pitch because he's super talented and like I love the way that he's like been rapping the south side and how he represents the south side because I mean if you think about some of like some rappers like come out within the last couple of years from the south side which like I'm talking about like Chief Keith um, <laughs> I don't think like there has been a great representation in the more recent history not counting like Kanye and Common Lupe that that's like more early 2000s anyway so let's talk about this idiot film. Can I ask one question first? Yeah. What does it mean to be an ambassador for a baseball team? That's a good question. I don't know the full answer. I know that he made like a line of uh, he made a line of redesigned White Sox hats. Ooh. And I mean, he already every like everywhere he goes, whatever video he's in, when he's on like SNL, he's always rocking a White Sox cap, mm-hmm. like a classic black White Sox cap. So he's like already kind of a low key ambassador yeah but now he's getting paid for it so that's mm-hmm. dope um and he just had a little girl i think so yeah just had a little girl starting um, a college fund if that's what she wants for yeah. her life <laughs> <laughs> um so this article this random dude who lives in new york who is a sports writer who can honestly like not like honestly probably doesn't give a single fuck about chicago but feels <laughs> that he needs to have Chicago and the White Sox in his fucking mouth and like Chance in his fucking mouth. She's okay. mad, y'all. I'm y'all hear how she's talking about this? Man? I know. I'm using so much profanity. She is so mad. <laughs> but it's just like, I don't like when people are not in their lane. And one, he's reviewing rap and he's like a sports writer and he's an old white man. So, like, all things point to him not being an expert on this subject whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> You said all things point to <laughs> not being an expert on this. So some of the things that he said, he's just like, he chose a random song from uh, Chance's 2013 mixtape. And it was, and he like probably chose maybe like, 
not the most one of the more misogynistic songs on like his track and it was about smoking weed and from this one song he didn't listen to anything else he listened to this one song that chance made three years ago he didn't listen to anything else and then he made a full judgment a full judgment on the man and uses and in the article uses such like coded language like unmarried father it's like okay like I know, like we know what you mean by that. Um, also, it's 2016, right? It's like you don't have to be married. You can have the option to like have children and not be married. You're acting like he's like not taking great care of his daughter, but whatever. Yeah. Like you don't know his life, you don't know him. That okay. Back to this story. Um, so he's just like talking about like calling chance a gangster rapper which what like he has a brass section in him most of his raps <laughs> which if you again like if you ever heard anything that he made except maybe like one song from 2013 then like if you listen to any of his new stuff where he's just like t- praying for his city talking about his grandma talking about how much he loves his parents what rapper does that his like he's grown so much in his music and as a person in like the last um, two three years that to go and say that this is who he is and how dare the White Sox be like how dare the White Sox choose him to be a brand ambassador is just like look at who he is now because who he is now is a great representation of like a successful South Side story and also this idiot said that. He's from suburban Chicago. No, I don't, there's nothing that I hate more when someone says that a Chicago neighborhood is a suburban town. <laughs> nothing I hate more. Specifically because I grew up on like the fringe of the city. So like if I walk a mile, I'm in a suburb. So I was like, oh, Beverly, that's a suburb. No, it's a middle class Chicago neighborhood, just like Chatham. And I hate when, like it's like a personal pet peeve. Like look at look at a map of these seven seven neighborhood seventy seven neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. Don't just like just don't talk about what you don't know, Phil. You know what? If it isn't an area that has been gentrified by whites, <laughs> it is not on the mind. <laughs> Of people when it comes to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's like all of Southside is one big thing. And it's basically a big violent suburb. Yeah. <laughs> to and most like, of the world. And he's like said some of that. Well, like some of his article was just like talking about how disgraceful the Southside of Chicago is. And how like all like everyone needs to focus on curing the violence instead of rapping about it and just like you're not doing anything you're sitting in this new york office worried like what are you gonna do like what are you how are you being productive or proactive and like ending violence you're just criticizing something that you know nothing about you're criticizing a city that you know nothing about you're criticizing a people in a whole section of the city that you have never met never seen and never been about so guess what phil stay in your fucking lane if i catch you in this city it's on (laughs) i'm gonna give you a piece of my mind and i'm gonna tell you what a fucking idiot you are you know it seems like what he did in his article is what most white people have done to black people for all of history it's like (laughs) It's like, let me take this one moment I saw you do one time and paint this crazy meta narrative of how how your people function in the world. Oh, you wrote this this misogynistic 
line in a song black men are rapists <laughs> keep your keep your women in your house it's like yo don't we know that people grow and right. change and are different right. second of all it's baseball like this is not we're deciding to go to war tomorrow and we're drafting all the men and women you know what i mean like mm-hmm. this is kind of like i understand this keeps him in work sports keeps this person paid but like sir this is not the government we're talking about and lastly like how are you just going to be criticizing somebody like this when you have no idea of what you're talking about that's like what scientists write on religion in my head Mm -hmm. it's like you are an expert in your field maybe i don't know this dude i don't like sports (laughs) maybe you're an expert in sports writing but that that does not mean you can be doing social commentary I mean, I guess you can. We have freedoms, <laughs> quote, freedoms in this country. But it doesn't mean you should. Yeah. So take me. Shizzle What's his last name? Mucinex? <laughs> yeah, like the congestion. Uh, congestion no, of the people. Um, it's like Mucinex. So not far from Mucinex. Whatever. And we're not <laughs> sponsored by Mucinex. Just so <laughs> if somebody's wondering. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> um, anyway, stay in your lane, bro. Um, and now we're just going to like talk a bit about this BuzzFeed video. Uh, 27 things, 27 questions that black people have for black people. Let's let's give them a demonstration, Kat. Okay. Let's ask each other questions like the ones they asked in the video. Okay. Misha, how come people prefer people of your skin tone and not mine? Cat, why is it not okay for me to have natural hair? Misha, why is it okay for me to say the N-word, but white people can't? Cat, why do people in our race, why does it, why do they say we like watermelon? Why doesn't everybody <laughs> like watermelon? You don't even need to watch the BuzzFeed video because we just gave you a summary of yeah. the questions these people were asking. The idiotic questions, the like they were just all these questions were half of the questions the answer was systematic racism the other half like a quarter of the answers were colorism <laughs> like it's it's like these questions are presented as in as if blackness lives within a vacuum and we're not affected by the external effects of racism power and privilege within society and it's just like if you're even like a quarter woke, how can you ask these insane questions to like other black people? You know what I think the issue was? What? It's not. Okay. So for one, I think I get what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like Buzzfeed has already produced a lot of really good videos that are kind of highlighting things about systemic racism. I wonder if the mindset behind the video was kind of the thing if like you ask a rhetorical question in order to kind of make people think about things that they might not have thought about before. So while a lot of quote woke people have had to think about, you know, systematic racism, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe there are a lot of black people out there who haven't thought about colorism. And so the ways in which they're asking these questions are in their head, easy ways of prompting people. But what it ended up really being it's just this crazy show of people asking very stupid questions (laughs) and i also feel like it could have even been different 
if it was if it was something like you know things white people want to know about black people you know Mm -hmm. and it was like why why do we see so many light-skinned people highlighted but not many dark-skinned dark-skinned people highlighted you know Mm -hmm. it's like okay maybe if white people haven't been thinking about this i could see how they would want to ask that question but black to black it's like (laughs) yo a woke staff why y'all even asking me this question you know the answer to this question (laughs) it was uh, i just well i'm not the only one who was like uncomfortable and or offended by it because BuzzFeed issued an apology after black Twitter got all up and through that ass. Oh, black Twitter. Wow. Is that what Twitter did? That's what black Twitter did. Black Twitter basically went off and BuzzFeed was like, we sorry. We real sorry. Just, and they were so cute about it too. They thought they were so cute. They, (laughs) mm, mm. why, why is it that, why is it that we can say the N word, but, White people can't say the N word. What? Get out of here. I don't even want to hear. That was not a question in my book. That was like. I feel like any black person can answer that question. It's that like maybe that I think that was like one of the questions that irritated me the utmost. But the thing was, it wasn't even like in my head. I don't really say the N word. You know, I'm like, I just don't like the word. But I do feel like it's different. Yeah. But some of the other que- what were the other questions, Cap? What was another question? Um, if my dabs on fleek and my lit. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's also the issue. Is there were such silly questions with such serious questions? Why don't black people have fathers? <laughs> right. Why don't people in the black community have fathers? Next, the questions talk about. Why do black people like watermelon so much? Like, why are we mixing systematic problems with stereotypes? Yeah. I just don't understand yeah. what is happening. It was just be a quiet. giant mess of a video. Um, I should have been drunk before I watched it. I would have liked it. <laughs> my, my little bit of racism would have come out. I'd be like, yeah, good question. Good question. <laughs> I'm just kidding because I'm woke and I know the answers. Okay. Um, so we're going to like get into our main topic for today and Misha hinted at it earlier. Um, I did that smooth. <laughs> it was okay. Um, <laughs> he said it was okay. <laughs> um, but she, she hinted, um, and I don't know if you caught it or not. Probably you'll probably be like, Oh, once I let's pause and let them, let them say the answer. What is the topic of our show? Oh, nice. You got it. I'm so excited for you. Uh, we're going <laughs> to be talking about gentrification, mm. which is something that I think about nice. pretty much all the time, especially growing up in the, in a major city. Um, and then I started like listening to like a new podcast called There Goes the Neighborhood. And it's all about like gentrification in Brooklyn. Mm. Um, so let's start. Let's get into it. So something that I was like, wait, cat, what's gentrification? Oh yeah, well, I'm gonna explain that. Okay, I'm <laughs> I'm out. I tapped out. I, no, well, I would like you to be engaged in this conversation. I'm so engaged. I'm just tapped out while you do your thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, so for those who like don't know what gentrification is, it's uh, 
Mm, I'm gonna explain it as because it's it's something that you can't. It's easy to over oversimplify, um, and really, it's rooted in a lot of economic and like racial issues. So, okay, um, so gentrification is a trend um, in urban neighborhoods that is reflected in increased property values in low-income neighborhoods, usually located in um, a more central part of, uh, of a city. This is usually, some may see it as um, the, a correction of like blockbusting, which I'll explain later. There's this town, I think in Canada maybe, mm-hmm. where a lot of people who are not <clears throat> Canadian, who are foreign, have started moving into the town because it's a, they're kind of wealthy and so they're mm-hmm. buying up a lot of the properties and moving there. They're kind of, and they're, um, so they're settling there. Because the wealthy people are moving in, a lot of businesses who have ignored the area are like, okay, these rich people are moving in. Now let's like set up all these shops because the rich people will buy from it. But what has happened is now the people who are local and who are living there can't afford to live there anymore because the property taxes are going through the roof and they can't afford all of these, all of these new shops. They're like buying all their local shops. They can't buy Prada. They tried to buy family dollar. You know what I mean? <laughs> and because, and it all stems from this one specific community of people who are wealthy and we're like, we're, we're going to start moving into this like neighborhood and like take it over. Basically. I think gentrification happens a lot slower mm-hmm. than this specific example, but I think that's like, so gentrification usually happens over the course of, um, t- it could actually happen over the course of 10 to 30 years. Um, and basically it's reflective of like a community's lifestyle shifting. Mm-hmm. So like in Chicago, you'll see a lot of Latino neighborhoods mm-hmm. being taken over. Well, taken over. It's like being, <laughs> my, my second word to use was like infiltrated. <laughs> Um, which is like that much better but you'll see a lot of um residents moving in that don't necessarily fit with the current community's Mm -hmm. aesthetic so if if somebody if you're moving to a city and somebody says oh this is the new hip trend neighborhood that means yo they're taking over yeah yeah little old ladies probably used to live there and now (laughs) now they got starbucks gyms you know all kinds of stuff it's um yeah so gentrification is just the shift of a low-income neighborhood becoming a a wealthier neighborhood by an influx of infrastructure government resources um higher higher or less affordable stores increase in property taxes um and just an overall increase in real estate development so there are gentrifiers are um there's like a set of gentrifiers there are early gentrifiers and then people who like finally are the final people to like quote unquote establish the neighborhood interesting so some of the earlier gentrifiers are reflected as um, artists, and a lot. I can of, see that. 
a lot of artists, um, and I guess when it comes to Chicago, hipsters, like they move into more affordable neighborhoods, usually located conveniently near like a train line or within within convenience to other parts of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I currently live in a gentrified neighborhood and that's, and yeah, I currently live in a gentrified neighborhood. It's located like 15 minutes from like on a train line from a central business from the central business district, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was a predominantly Latino neighborhood. Like my and some and a good number of Ukrainian people. Like honestly, because um, there's actually a good number of Ukrainian people on my block. And so I, I talked to, like, my landlord who has, like, he's Ukrainian. He's lived here his whole life, and he's, like, he's pretty old now. Um, and he would tell me, like, man, the neighborhood used to be so violent. There used to be, like, there used to be, like, gun fights everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and like, I can't believe how much has changed since, like, the late 90s and early mm-hmm. 2000s. Um and something that's what I didn't know about gentrification, but makes total sense, like, based on the neighborhood that I live in, um, gentrification is kind of like this correction for black bust- busting and, like, white flight. So, like, the block that, or, like, within the, the specific area of Wicker Park I live in is called um, Millionaire, or, like, Millionaire Row, or, like, Mansion Row. Mm-hmm. There's, like a sick amount of mansions within like three blocks of me and which is <laughs> which seems and they were all built in like the early 1900s late 1800s mm-hmm. um and that was like and that was what was like popular mm. um and then as like <clears throat> um the suburbanization of as so as like world war ii passed and de-urbanization uh became a thing and everyone flocked to the suburbs (laughs) and the people who were living in these like mansions moved out to the suburbs and want to like establish themselves in the suburbs more more um low-income residents moved in to these neighborhoods and a lot of the resources that were here moved out with the um like white residents who resided mm-hmm. here before so as these like lower income families moved in the neighborhood like uh, re- i would say received less city attention less city resources and definitely were definitely had like an increase in violence mm-hmm. and blight um mm-hmm. that changed once like the 90s hit when it became like this kind of really cool artsy neighborhood mm-hmm. which is how people describe it to me when i tell them i live in wicker park mm-hmm. and i'm like okay that's cool mm-hmm. um and it's and it's like slowly transformed like i started living here in like 2010 it's 2016 right now and i've definitely it's definitely even <laughs> so different from when mm-hmm. i moved here after college and like i look at i look at like all of these specialty shops. I feel, I feel, I think I'm in like the second half of gentrification because mm-hmm. I like, I was kind of around when all the hipsters were still living here. Mm-hmm. And then now it's all like uh, middle class and 
like higher income couples. Yeah, there's a lot of strollers out when there's the weather so gets warm. There's so many strollers. There's so many like child boat boutiques. Mm. There's so many stores. There's stores for like there's like one store just to get beads. What? It's so freaking weird. That's how you know your neighborhoods is coming. <laughs> when they got a bead store. It's like there's so many like weird and ridiculous stores that have like popped up over the last like five years that I'm like, oh I like I better start making some money because i'm not gonna be i'm a later gentrifier but then sometimes i feel like can i be a gentrifier if i'm a person of color it oh that's a good question i it seems oh go ahead cat sorry to interrupt but like i feel that if i live in the neighborhood doesn't that make the neighborhood inherently less desirable because everyone's low-key racist no, cat, because you, no, no, because you look hipster too. So, <laughs> uh, no, sometimes some of your outfits be a little hipster though. <laughs> so you fit, you fit in quite well in this neighborhood. Okay. That was a joke. But what I am saying <laughs> is I feel like gentrification is a combination of like money and maybe race and while you might not have the racial part you probably mm-hmm. do have the economic part of it mm-hmm. i'm conflicted because in one way i'm like it's really cool to see these neighborhoods like go from being like violent ridden to not having as much violence <laughs> but what that means <laughs> is that you know the problem of like violence and in neighborhoods not having certain amenities is the fact that like people come in and take it over and bring those resources with them and then basically push people out and so people are never really talking about the real issue of like how do we stop the violence in these neighborhoods how do we bring resources to these neighborhoods and they're kind of like we're just going to go and take it over and like and actually like bring the stuff with us yeah i wanted to ask a question about the artist because it's in some ways I don't feel like gentrification is that intentional. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, you know, in some neighborhoods, like the one I was describing in Canada, I think it's probably very intentional to like go into a town and be like, we're rich. We're about to take over this town. <laughs> in most cases, though, like in the case of an artist, as somebody who is like working many jobs to try to pay for your craft. Mm -hmm. It seems like what you would do is go to the most affordable neighborhood. And so in that sense, you're just trying to survive. And because of the craft that you're doing, maybe selling your craft or like performing music or creating these, these spaces of which these like creative, these creative outlets can kind of be observed in those ways. It seems like people see that are kind of drawn to it. So in some ways I don't see it, as being intentional in other ways i see it as being like very intentional <laughs> so i'm conflicted because i look at wicker park and i'm like i don't know which type of gentrification it was either way it's still gentrification and property taxes are probably through the roof and people who afford to live here for many years can't afford to live here anymore mm-hmm. but i'm just i just wonder which kind it was. Do you know it's like what I think is kind of interesting about like Wicker Park versus the neighborhood next to it, which is Ukrainian Village? What is that? In Ukrainian Village, like I something that I've noticed is that like a lot of like the Latino families who lived in the area have been forced 
to migrate west um, into Humble Park, which is currently being gentrified, which is in um, early gentrification stages. Mm-hmm. And like there be in, um, there's been this consistent like forced migration west for a lot mm-hmm. of Latino families. But something that I've really noticed, like going through Ukrainian uh, village, is that they've really been able to like fight against gentrification, and they've mm-hmm. really been able to like there'll be gentrifiers who move in, but like a lot of the Ukrainian families have like really a stronghold on their mm. community. That makes me kind of ask like, how does a neighborhood stop it from happening? Mm-hmm. If that's something a neighborhood wants to stop from happening. Cause you know, and there are some neighborhoods where they're like, no, 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 please bring businesses, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I was just reading about and Pilsen, a yes. bow trust was put in <laughs> off of one of the lines and it keeps being vandalized. Mm-hmm. By people who are like keep white people out <laughs> which makes me laugh because Botrus is amazing coffee but yeah I get it I get it I'm like and I actually saw it because there's like this I think this Mexican bakery mm-hmm. and you can like go in and get I feel like I went in there and I got like six different things for like three dollars or something mm-hmm. and then you walk out you see a Botrus where you about to pay off six dollars for just a cup. eight ounce cappuccino <laughs> or something and you're like whoa yeah. What is happening? But I will say, in my head, psychologically, I saw the boat dress, and I was like, "Whoa, is this a neighborhood I should be looking at?" You know, <laughs> that's seriously what I thought. And right now, in this moment, I'm very disappointed in myself mm-hmm. that it took seeing a boat dress before I was like, "Oh, this must be a really like cool neighborhood." But those are like the markers. Those yeah, are exactly the, the markers that bring in one like bring in investors mm-hmm. and like i know people who i've talked to people who've like moved into the city and decide to live in certain neighborhoods just because like oh we we're driving around and this looked really cute mm-hmm. and like there's a little bit of diversity well like, not for long if you move in because yeah. you're gonna push out a lot of like the um, latino families who reside in like pilsen it's right now the big like the next big like pilsen humble park the next two big communities to be gentrified and have a force another like forced migration west uh, i think like gentrification really started in chicago around like the 1970s mm-hmm. in lincoln park and if you if you go to lincoln park today you would never know lincoln park was the hood mm-hmm. like the like lincoln park in the 70s like you did not want to go to at night and right now it's like the one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the city mm-hmm. so um that was like another another situation where like latino people were displaced and like forced west and something that i find like kind of interesting is i don't see a lot of like gentrification in black neighborhoods i see it specifically in um latino neighborhoods and like more so in the past like ethnic white neighborhoods because i feel Mm. like within the grand scope of, like, Americanism. Like, there's not, like, ethnic whites don't really exist anymore. Like, they definitely do exist, but, like, within the scope of whiteness and, like, mm-hmm. Americanness, like, they've been recruited to the white team. Mm. What do you think it is about the difference in black neighborhoods and maybe Latino neighborhoods that have caused this observation that you're talking about? Like, I guess, what is the perception of people who are doing this where they they kind of stay away from black neighborhoods? Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know the sociology behind it other than um, the darker the skin, the more threatening the person is. <laughs> like, I feel like that's, like, everyone's perception. I think that's, like, why 
people pursue Latino neighborhoods. Like I can, all of the neighborhoods currently being gentrified in the city right now are in our Latino neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And like there are, so for example, like Bronzeville has a lot of beautiful historical housing. It's close to downtown. Um, It's like, near Lakeshore Drive, it's near the lake, like, it has, like, a lot of great things going for it, but, like, white people are not pursuing property there, Mm -hmm. even though it has, like, a good location, like, a location as good as Pilsen, Um, and I just, I think it's, there's, like, a major racial component in, like, Mm -hmm. feeling, and, like, just overall feeling comfortable Mm -hmm. in a neighborhood, because, like, I, well, growing up in in a black neighborhood, anytime, like, well, more so when I lived in Chatham than when I lived in Beverly, because, like, if you go two blocks and, like, if you go two blocks west, then there was, like, a ton of white families in my mm-hmm. neighborhood. But, like, when I lived in Chatham, if we saw, like, a white person, which is Chatham's, like, an all-black, middle-class neighborhood, mm-hmm. if you see, like, a white person walking around, you're just, like, really confused. <laughs> you're just, like, you're just, like, what are they mm-hmm. doing here? And, I mean, so the part, also the part of Chatham that I lived in was, like, the hood so it wasn't a very good neighborhood. Actually, or that, like, section wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was extra confusing when you saw, like, white people roaming around. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, that's something that, like, I think about a lot and that I'm very, like, interested in knowing more about, like, mm-hmm. if Wicker Park was a black neighborhood, would it have been gentrified? I don't know, Kat. <laughs> But I do think it probably has something to do with fear. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what this is called, what I'm trying to say. Maybe help me put some words on it. But I feel like mm-hmm. so many people, just because, you know, of our brothers and sisters to the South, have had to learn Spanish, think they're, like, into Mexican culture. So, at least for me, like, I knew a lot of people who studied abroad mm-hmm. in Spanish-speaking countries, and then who came back and were like, oh, my God, like, I miss I miss doing this so much. And then, therefore, they would, like, instead of going to the normal grocery store, they would start going to, like, the Mexican grocery store. You know, like, little things like that. And then, like, start saying paletas instead of popsicles. Exactly. <laughs> so, what I do wonder, like, there's, you know, at least with with Latino culture, there's, like, a like a separateness you know it's like Mm -hmm. kind of we can learn this way and and really you know get into the neighborhood and like show we're learning the language blah blah blah. and i don't know but with the black people it's just not like that it's you know it's not like you can walk into i just don't even know how to say it you can't like learn a bonics you know (laughs) like walk in and somebody look at you even if you did that'd be like starkly offensive yeah like if uh, like a white but person it, like yeah try to code switch but if somebody walked into a mexican bakery and like mm-hmm. ordered everything in spanish mm-hmm. you wouldn't really look at it you like you would be like oh that probably person probably like studied in a spanish-speaking country mm-hmm. it just seems it seems so different in my head but i don't have any intellectual language <laughs> to describe why it feels different i'll think about it <laughs> and then maybe i'll talk about it later <laughs> I mean, I honestly, like, I think that it's purely racism. Like, there's, I've thought about this so many times, and there's no, there's no other logical reason that I can find outside of, like, not wanting to live in a black neighborhood. Because I'm like, uh, even, 
even in like the neighborhood I grew up in, it was still like pretty segregated. Yeah. I don't This is just something I've never had to deal with. And then I mean, and also, like, Chicago's the most segregated city in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, we put redlining on the map. No big deal. Okay. Ooh, Chicago. <laughs> that was y'all. <laughs> that was y'all. I'm just supporting you. No, it's like, that's a, redlining is not something to support. That was y'all. <laughs> number one. South Carolina was the number one to secede. Y'all the number one to redline. Whatever. <laughs> I just think it's something different. As somebody as a who grew up in the country, mm-hmm. it just, it's something I never thought about. And it wasn't something I thought about unless I went to like Charlotte, North Carolina. And I didn't actually know the word gentrification until I went on a field trip in college where we stopped in this neighborhood in Charlotte. That I think had historically, it might have actually been a black neighborhood. But people started buying up properties and big condos were going up. And one of my professors who actually lived in Charlotte was like, yeah, this this area is being heavily gentrified. And I was like, what does that big word mean? You know, mm-hmm. it was the first time I'd ever heard of it. Um, so this is just it's a new experience, to like live in a place, I think, where it's so visible. And you can actually just, like, see what it means when you use, you know. Something that I kind of, I've um, from listening to the podcast, There Goes the Neighborhood, something that I've been thinking about more is, like, I've been thinking mostly about, like, the people moving in and their motives behind moving in. But I haven't been thinking enough about the people moving out and being forced out in this mm-hmm. forced migration. Um, and, like, like well, um, There Goes the Neighborhood is just basically talking about how a lot of these a lot of people are being scammed out of their properties um in like really hot real estate markets they like people do really deceptive things to steal property like in a lot of cases like actually like steal properties by creating false deeds and like claiming like oh well this person sold me the property and like presenting a um forged or like false deed what yeah it's absolutely insane like some like it's sick what like some people are doing just to gain property in like hot neighborhoods and and a lot like the level of scams that that are mostly portrayed against like elderly people who have been in their homes forever um and just families who've had the house in their families for sometimes up to five six generations are being deceived Mm -hmm. by people who just like want the property so they can make a million dollars off it it's like it's really sick and i and i think that's like the part of gentrification that people like that's the ugly side of gentrification that no one really wants to look at no one wants to see like it looks like oh this neighborhood's getting better like there's less violence there's also people being scammed and people mm-hmm. being displaced for for money. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I don't know, I think that's like maybe like the darker, more unfortunate side of gentrification that like no one really looks at. Such a sad topic. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not, it's not like a happy, yeah, it's kind of like not a happy thing. Gentrification's Ooh. like definitely a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Um, and listeners, if you have like questions or opinions, feel free to let us know about 
your more experience. opinions because I'm not the expert on this. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> so we'd love to hear from you guys. Um, so now let's get back into our third installment of Black Women's History Month. Ooh, are you guys excited? Are you are you guys wondering? Like, oh I'm extremely excited. It's like we've already given y'all two amazing black women. Who's gonna be the third? Are you guys ready? Wait, sit. No, take a seat. Okay, are you sitting? Fantastic. I'm sitting. Fantastic. So t- <laughs> today, the black woman that we're gonna highlight is Ida B. Wells. <laughs> so you may have heard of her. You may have not heard of her. Um, if you haven't, then now you get to. So. You know, exciting for you. I want to be you right now. Um, <laughs> so some cool things about Ida B. Wells. She, so this is not actually cool. She was born a slave, but it was like not right cool. before the Emancipation Proclamation. So she didn't have to stay a slave for very long. That's, <laughs> a, that's a positive way of seeing it, I guess. Yeah. She didn't have to like live her life. She was a slave, but not for long. Not for long. <laughs> Just for a little bit, but not for long. Um, something like you may or may not know about, or something that people mostly know about her, is that in 1884, she gave um, she refused to give up her seat to a white man on a train. Good for her. And uh, when she was, when they attempted to forcibly remove her, she bit the hand of the man trying to remove her. What? Because she will not go. Mm-mm. Or, well, not without a fight, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to say the least. Um, And so she sued the, afterwards, she sued the railroad for, she sued the railroad and made $500. And I was like, get it, Which is equal to, like, over $12,000 today. Right. Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm just saying, that's a lot. It's just to have somebody be like, move. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. I think that like, she is such a brave woman because like, I would be afraid to like do anything. Cause like in 2016, I would get shot for that shit. Yeah. Totally. And so for her in 1884, 1884, like slavery, a black woman to be biting a white man. What? Like slavery is not even close to being a distant memory. Like it's, you're in the middle of reconstruction in in the south no less to be like to defend your body and to defend your space like that like remarkable so mm-hmm. like i really admire um her strength she was doing her thing on that train yeah so um she went on she was a teacher for a while went on to become a writer um and moved to chicago to be with her boo her husband who was a prominent uh, black attorney in chicago Ooh. And where they lived, um, where they lived for a while, <laughs> when they they made their life in Chicago. Um, and there's actually a historical site in Bronzeville, the um, house that she lived in. With we should her go family. visit. Yeah, is yeah. it like a house? Do people live in it, I, or is it preserved like a I, museum? It's the first one. People live in it. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> so I don't know if we can necessarily we can look at it and admire it and be like that's pretty cool I wonder if the people who live there know I'm pretty sure they know I hope like, they're like really cool and appreciate that <laughs> um, and then some other like cool things that she did um, during 1913 there was a univer- there was a march for universal suffrage in DC so 
since you might have heard my feelings about the suffrage movement in earlier episodes and white feminists in earlier episodes <laughs> and how they treat black women pretty shitty, um, all of the black women had to march in the back of the in the back of the march. So Ida was like, you like you got me twisted, girl. So she so at the like the last minute she went right up front with the white women and the white male supporters to march for her rights. So I mean That really does sound like white feminism still. <laughs> so like basically she was like kind of like a grandmother for modern day civil rights movements and she was a very strong, very brave, courageous woman who was going to speak her mind, was going to write how she felt and didn't care. And like, yeah, just didn't care whether you liked it or not. Like she was going to speak her truth. So I'd be Wells. This is for you. The woman who just didn't care. <laughs> the woman who spoke her truth. <laughs> Yours is <was> better. <laughs> Um, great. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Oh, that was beautiful. I was trying to do like a 90s R&B thing, you know what I mean? I feel it. Yeah. I like it. Uh, you can hit us up at Unlearned. We're on Twitter and Stitcher. Nope. Wrong. We are on Stitcher. Well, yeah. I meant to say iTunes. We own that, too. Which <laughs> I'm going to cry for how much I have to edit this episode. Um... So you can hit us up at on iTunes and Stitcher at Unlearn. You can email us at unlearnpodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our website at unlearnpodcast.com. Um, you can tweet us at unlearned underscore shy. You can check out our Facebook page at unlearned. And that is, that's it. That's it. That's, a that's lot. everything. I don't know. It was real mouthful. Um, Anyway, learn more about Ida B. Wells. She's pretty dope. If you have any black women that you would like to highlight, we got one more to go. So send us an email before Black Women's History Month is over. Um, Or maybe we'll just keep Black Women's History Month going forever. Black Women's History Year. Yes. Black Women's History Century. Loves it. Loves it. Okay. So thank you so much for listening. And... We'll see you guys soon. Bye. Bye.